Welcome to Death and Aliens, an in-depth look at horror and sci-fi TV from two friends who vaguely know what they're doing. I'm MK. And I'm Courtney. And we are beginning this recording at almost 11 p.m., so, like, bear with Yay. us. <laughs> it's so we can go home for the holidays in places that don't have internet yes. and still give you guys content. So Correct. This is for you. You're welcome. How are you, Courtney? <laughs> Well, aside from the fact that my computer may or may not blow up in the middle of this, fine. Um, in our in our second recording of today, Sadie um, ran right over my cord and knocked my coke over onto my computer, and it's um not happy with me. But I think all is gonna be fine. So we're just gonna pretend like it is. But aside from technical issues. I've, um, since I've been back, I've had a, a good time. I went and saw, um, the Adams Family Musical Friday. Um, have you seen it? Do you know anything about it? I love it. Okay. <laughs> I did. Oh, the story is terrible. No, the story is Okay, terrible. okay, okay. No, no, no. Sorry. The music is phenomenal. Music. The story music is, is great. The story is terrible. story's garbage. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. I, and, I just uh, also want the ability to play one through Morticia on stage. Like, it's fine. Yes. I also would like to play Morticia. Um, I had a, we won't say terrible. It was a community theater, but it was not a great Morticia. Mm-hmm. Um, Fester was incredible. Okay. Was so, he was fun. And um, I liked the music. And I had some coffee, which was nice. Nice. Um, but the show itself, not what I was expecting. No. The writing, um, not not well. But in that in that yeah. same brain, um, Wednesday comes out in two days or three days. Although on That's Netflix, true. and I bet it's going to be more what I'm expecting. Um, but I also saw, oh my gosh, LB something's short story competition winners um that it was like these really these four really short stories that were put together um for new circle theater which is like i think we've talked about before it's like a yeah is this is this what you told me about at breakfast yesterday Uh uh-huh yeah so it's a theater that like they read like unpublished plays that have never been developed and they essentially develop in, in like two weeks and do like a week or two run of them to like put in front of an audience to kind of see how it goes and it gives people it's all volunteer based performers stage managers directors it's all volunteer based so um it's very cool it was it was really good um so i've been i've been doing well in the theater world i think i'm gonna go see a show on wednesday also so i'm just trying to get back into theater now that i'm in new york for a couple weeks how are you well i have had a very um it this weekend has been an emotional roller coaster okay um so i um on friday i had a snow day mm-hmm. which was great i snuggled on the couch and watched the crown then i got all my stuff together and my dad and i drove to long island and we spent saturday in long island it was so good so let's just start saturday was phenomenal um we were there for long island who which is a doctor who specific convention um and the like the person who runs the convention ken my dad and i had met previously and so we knew about this convention um and we met peter davison who played the fifth doctor in doctor who who is also david Tennant's father-in-law um and he was fantastic and we met or we talked to like five of the companions and two, including two who were in like the second doctor all the way back in the 60s and 70s like it's very cool it was so cool 
And they were all just like really great people. And because the convention is so small, it's not like a big like fan expo or like New York or San Diego mm-hmm. Comic Con level convention. Everybody's just like hanging out. Like I like one of the Janet, one of the actresses just like stopped me in the hallway to have a conversation. Like really, really cool. I also um met some great people there who weren't the celebrity guests who were just there like as panelists or like other guests and everything. And I met a film professor from New York who teaches basically what I want to teach when I finish my PhD and like make connections with him. And he's phenomenal. Um, His name is David Bushman and he writes books about TV scripts. You should check him out. He's great. Then, so like, oh, and I also went to this place on Long Island that I will shout out on the podcast called Lulu's Lobster and Wing Shack. Um, Dom, if, if you're listening, it doesn't matter when this is. I can't go yet. When you're listening, we're going to go there. Um, Dom, it's in Medford, um, which... It, it's More to like, you than either of us. Yes, exactly. Um, it's in Medford, and it's amazing. Um, so, yes. So, Saturday was great. Sunday started fantastically. Dad yeah, it did. We went when we drove into Manhattan, and we had brunch with Courtney. I got out of my house before 11 a.m. on a Sunday. I jokingly said to my my brother, said something to me stupid last night. I go, I'm sorry. I had mimosas in Manhattan today. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) I'm going to start telling people that every day. I don't care if I've had a mimosa or not. Mimosa in Manhattan today. (laughs) Um, But then something really really bad happened um for those of you who have known me a long time you'll probably know that while doctor who is really the start of my true sci-fi like thing the first show that i ever was really really into that was mine that falls into the anime, Comic-Con, nerd, sci-fi universe is Power Rangers. That was heartbreaking. Um, Yesterday, which is not yesterday by the time you watch this, it'll be two weeks from... Seven years uh, ago. Yeah. Uh, Jason David Frank, who played Tommy Oliver, who was the... Ranger green. who appeared. He well, he was green, he was white, he was red. He was the ranger who appeared in the most different series of Power Rangers. Um, he committed suicide. Which I have a really tough time with suicide in general because I have lost so many people to suicide. Um, but not only was he the first crush I ever had, like ever, um I was lucky enough to talk to him quite a few times um and and like I followed his daughter on Instagram and talked to her as well like and her post about her dad broke me um yeah and um I found out while I was driving home so it was a long drive yeah um and I had another snow day today, which was while, fine. While we're addressing um, sad things that have occurred in the world, there was also a huge shooting at the Q um, yes. in Colorado, which was also very upsetting at the same time, which is always fun when two tragedies happen at once. Um, okay. Yeah, so... Uh, it's been a weekend. Yes. yes. Um, lots of highs, lots of lows. Yeah. The the high, the high, I mean, other than Courtney, of course. Other than me. I am. It's the, the all of my Doctor Who-ness this weekend. And it was just so much fun. And I was like talking to people about Matt Smith's butt. And it was great. <laughs> Love it. Well, because one guy, one of the guys told me, 
one of the guys on one of the panels said that Rory did not have a personality. Rory has the biggest heart of anyone on that show. Right. And I literally, I, I was like, okay, so here's the thing. And I can say this because I would say it to his face. Um, I was like, when I met my boyfriend, I thought he was the most boring person I'd ever met. <laughs> Poor Dan. Bless his heart. And when I first started expressing interest in him, some of my friends were like, but he's so boring and you're so not. And I was like, here's the thing though. So like, I get it. I get it. Rory's a little bit boring. I get Amelia running away to the doc with the doctor because it's something new and exciting that she's fixated on her whole life. And she just wants to make sure that she's accomplished everything before she settles. But two wild people will never function. They need a calm. You need a balance. You need a yin and yang. Rory is the glue that holds the TARDIS together when Amy and the Doctor are both setting each other on fire. He holds the entire world together. I was like, he is a rock. He is calm incarnate. He waited 2,000 years. And I was like... And I mean, I do call Dan Mr. Pond. And he did wait 2,000 years. It's so, true. So, yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> and but I told like I was saying that story to everyone on this panel, trying to explain why like Rory's devotion isn't his personality trait. It's just that explanation of everything of his personality trait. And like this guy was like kind of rolling his eyes, and every woman in that room was like, "She's correct." That's it. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but then, in, yeah, and then I have another snow day today. So um, I have a total of 10 days where I only have to see the kids once. It's great. Um, which is tomorrow because apparently we still have school tomorrow. Yeah. I have to see the kids every day. You don't have children. They basically are. Um, you know, not all of them, just one of them. But I was like, wait a second. <sighs> also, I got a really funny phone call tonight. Um, because I'm just sitting there trying to watch Stargate and take notes. And my phone starts ringing. My phone starts ringing, and it's Monica. And I answered the phone. I was like, hello. She goes, do you know where I am tonight? I was like, yeah, the Pierce the Veil concert tonight. You already posted about it on Snapchat. She was like, oh, yeah. Do you know who I'm standing next to at the concert tonight? And I go, that absolutely makes sense. I knew he'd be there. My ex. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, because who's playing with Pierce? And she's like, I prevail. I go, yeah, checks out. Have fun with him. Bye. That is so funny. <laughs> I love that. Omani. Oh, yeah. He's gonna come over on Sunday and do my hair, so the next time we record, I will not look a ratchet hot mess. I make no promises. I'm having a hard time <laughs> in life right now. Very yeah. busy. It's funny. Same. But you know what I'm not too busy for? You know, I think it's spiritual affirmations. It it absolutely is. Well, I don't know what my fixation is with magic today. But here we go. Fantastic. I did not crawl through the shards of my own brokenness to live a mediocre life. I've prepared for magic. Who said that? The internet. Oh, okay, great. So, so what I did oh. <laughs> is I just like scroll through things all the time and just like, yes. like aimlessly. And when I find quotes that I like, I just screenshot them. And I'm like, I'll come back to it. And so, like, I have some that have, like, authors on them and some that are just, I found this in my scrolling and now I have it. So, um, remember how yesterday I told you that Google is not a source? 
Um, yesterday, I was explaining to Courtney um, some of my struggles with my middle schoolers and their writing skills because when they do research, they just Google things and then copy the homepage of Google. And I told them I'm going to tattoo Google is not a source on my forehead. Yeah. And I told her Google is my source every time. So it's only for adults. I mean, to be fair, um, Google is the source for some of my information. Uh, like one of the things I'm going to talk about right now, which is uh, Stargate SG-1. Season which is two. much happier than our opening so far. <laughs> yes. Um, Stargate SG-1. Season 2, episode 16. A Matter of Time. Which is one of the most on-the-nose titles we've had in the show so far. It really is, but it makes me want to sing like every one of those like 80s, 90s songs that uses that phrase in it all at one time. That's absolutely fair. Which um, is not related it, to this at all. It was <laughs> rated 8.6 stars. Which is not as high as the last episode. But, but higher yeah. than expected. Yeah, definitely higher than I would have expected. Um, but also, to be fair, if it came before last week's episode... That's true. I probably would have rated it higher than I did. Because I did have a bit of a more emotional connection than a lot of them have lately. So I might would have rated it higher if I saw it first. That's fair. That's totally fair. I think it was just that last week's was like so much. And knowing last week's was like only 0.5 more than this one is like, mm, that's not right. Yeah, because like, yeah, I would say 8.6 is not bad. No. It's like it had a bad rating except for that like in comparison. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because it did in fact broadcast for the first time on December 9th of 1998. Which is a week before. Which is apropos, we are going back in time. Because we are discussing a matter of time. Oh, that is. And also, um, this episode is going to premiere to you fine folks. On the 4th. No, it's not. It is. I looked at a calendar earlier. No, today's... You're right, it is going to... What What day is it? <laughs> oh, that's because I thought today was the 28th. It's not. It's the 21st. I was like, no, but you're right. No, you're absolutely correct. I don't... I don't... It's not that I don't know what day the episode's coming out. I don't know what day it is today. Right. I, I literally looked at a calendar earlier and wrote it down. That's the only reason I know. Fantastic. Um, the s- number one song and book are the same as what we talked about last week because they just started a week earlier <laughs> but the number one movie was a bug's life okay so we've got which, <laughs> which we've only talked about in depth already because this the year the fall of 1998 was the bug's life ants saga and when ants was the number one movie we then ended up talking in depth about Bob's life as well. And it is good timing for us because Bob Iger is now the CEO again, which I realize we've talked about about 17 times tonight. Not once on the podcast. Not once on the podcast. Um, As a former um, Disney World employee in the era of Bob Iger, I am thrilled. As a person who watched the world of Disney fall apart in the past few years, also thrilled. Um, Bob Chapek lasted for exactly 999 days as the CEO, and my favorite tweet about the situation was a picture of the Haunted Mansion that said, apparently there's not always room for one more. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Love it. So That's yes, congr- for you today. Congratulations to Bob Iger and his Welcome family. Um, also... Um, a Bug's Life is hella underrated and should be more people's favorite Pixar movie. Um, it's not my favorite because I have other favorites, but the the little princess, what's her name? Ada or Dot. The baby Dot or Ada, the, the actual prince. They're both the baby one. Dot. Dot. I had a princess Dot 
stuffed animal that made noise at my grandma's house. And I played with that thing for way longer than I should have. Um, I genuinely was obsessed with this movie. It's the probably the only Pixar movie that I ever went through like an obsession phase with. I just really liked it um, until um, I went on It's Tough to Be a Bug for the first time. Because <laughs> I was what uh animal kingdom opened in 98 which means that tough to be a bug would have been put in right after the movie came out so in 99 so i was seven maybe 2000 and would it have gone in right after because it came out in december that's true it probably didn't go until december so but so i would have was eight still still young still too young for everything that happens in it's tough to be a crying ride that is Um, but also um the walk around character at disney of flick is the only person i've ever encountered with a butt bigger than mine (laughs) and um it's a good time for me he's got he's got a dog yeah yeah love that um December 9th, 1998, um, the only fun fact I could find about that day was that um, that day there was an archaeological discovery in South Africa of a nearly intact skeleton of a human, or early human, that may have been up to three million years old. And it's all been downhill since then. Yeah, no, I, I wish I would have died three million years ago. Um, but also, um, it is very appropriate for... Stargate. Yes. Truly. Truly, truly, truly. Um, This episode was directed by Martin Wood, and the teleplay was by Brad Wright. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But the story was by um, a person named Misha Roshevich. Okay. Who has exactly two writing credits ever. One is one episode of Stargate, and the other is one episode of The Dead Zone. Okay. I also... One uh, horror, one sci-fi. There we go. I also Googled Misha and found exactly nothing that was not linked to a Stargate Wikipedia page. So, um, I assume that Misha Roshevich is a woman, but Misha is also a male name in Russia, too. And, um, and some places in Europe. Like in yeah. the UK area. Yeah, so maybe it's not. Maybe it's a male. I literally don't even know the gender of this human. And actually, truthfully, even if it's a male name, they could still be female. I don't, I literally, I know nothing. Right. We don't know anything. Except they're a very good writer if this is only one of two credits for them. Right. I mean, and to be fair, the teleplay was by Brad. So the dialogue is more for the characters and someone right. who's already worked with them. But, like, the concept of this story, the actual story is what Misha wrote. And it's, I think the story is better than the teleplay for this. I agree. I agree. So, good on you, Misha. We love you. We don't know anything uh, about you other than we love you. Um, the guest star for this episode played um, Air Force, oh, I forgot what title. Oh. Cr- Cromwell. I don't remember if it was a lieutenant or a captain. I Fun fact, one of our publishing companies that we administered our publishing house is Cromwell Music. Fantastic. Um, not this. No. But the um, actor who played Cromwell was named Marshall Teague. He is known for Babylon 5 and uh, Armageddon. Um, he has over 130 acting credits, almost That's exclusively right. also exclusively one-offs. Yeah, um he plays um, military-esque characters in almost everything that he's done on TV, but that is also because he is actually a retired Navy and a former deputy sheriff of Memphis, Tennessee. So I definitely recognize him, and I <laughs> yeah. don't know why, but if he's done a lot of one-offs, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Like, he's done... Um, I didn't write all of them down because it was basically like anything you can think of that has had a cop in it. He's probably been (laughs) in like if there's cops or soldiers in a show, he's done an episode of it. Like, 
So. I love it. So I've definitely seen him. Yeah, for sure. Um, we start this episode with the most outer space shot I've ever seen. I genuinely thought I clicked the wrong show for a second. This was such a dramatic opening. Um, it was literally just like a picture of a planet colliding into a star and then a black hole and then people running through the sand and they weren't people that I knew. And I was like, right. what the fuck am I watching? I also was like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I literally rewound it because I was watching it. I was watching it in my office. And it was like 5.30. So like it was after hours, but I was watching it in my office. And I was just sitting there and I kept re- I rewound it like three times. I was like, what is going on? Am I watching the right episode? <laughs> Yeah, it started, and I go, is that outer space? I mean, I get it. What? And then I was like, that's definitely an SG team. Uh, not an SG team I've ever seen, but it's definitely an SG team. I was like, what? This isn't even one of them that we've, like, seen in passing. Correct. Um, but then we go back to SGC, where Jack is just asking Sam the stupidest questions about how wormholes work. And why they're called wormholes? I felt like the writers were like, let's actually discuss some things about space while we're here. Since we're talking about wormholes, let's talk about them. But then, like, only vaguely does. Right. And I get it. It was like, let's have this really big dramatic opening and then go back to our normal characters and have the discovery of the drama for them, too, which was fine. But that was a very weird scene to go back to. Oh, weird. Um, and it, it does come up again later because there's quite a few times in this episode where Jack makes it abundantly clear that when Sam talks, he doesn't know what the fuck she's talking about. Right. I mean, most of them don't know what she's talking oh, about. Right. So. But the concept that Jack, this far into it, still does not understand what the term wormhole means. Well, yes. Is like a level of stupid that you can't even pretend Jack is. I am not in the Air Force, nor do I work in space, and I know what a wormhole is. Right. I. This is what I do with this show. I compare it to my knowledge, and if I know it better than them, they're wrong. Because Correct. there's never a moment that I should know anything. And like, here's a, and I, like, I get it. Like, Jack is a little bit dull about science stuff. For sure. But he's a minimum 45. My guess would be probably closer to 50, 55-year-old man in the military. Accomplished man. Accomplished military colonel. He passed a science class. Like a, a wormhole. You, you don't know how an, a worm eats an apple? And you work in space. Okay. I expect you to know more sometimes than like Jack and them, but I expect all of them to know more than me because you know space and whatnot better than me. You're more sciencey. And and I also I mean I taught science. Right. And I watched this show before. So like my baseline is above yours. And I also understand that occasionally they put Jack at the lowest common denominator so that there's a reason to explain it. Cause if everybody knew things as much as Sam and Daniel did, they wouldn't explain it. But I feel like I should be the lowest common denominator. I'm just wondering, did like somebody in like the script editing room just go, Hey, you know what? My niece was watching the show the other day and they were like, uncle Brad, what the fuck's a wormhole? And I was like, that's a good question. We should probably tell people what a wormhole is. Like, I feel like that's the conversation that was had because there's no reason. But also, I feel like the way they did it was so incredibly dumbed down. Yeah. That, like, also, I hope Brad's niece didn't say, "What the fuck's a word?" Yeah, no, I, I also hope that. Um, but uh, I feel like because I feel like they did a lot of explaining it in context, which makes more sense. Yeah. They were like, "Oh, the gravity pool," and they would go into the gravity pool discussion, and they would go into like how it. Like, as it gets closer and this and that, I was like, you've explained it thoroughly enough without that first scene. Yeah. So, so that, was, that was just a choice. It was. One, but a choice. Uh, um, so then the gate 
has an unscheduled return. So everybody's like, um, breaking out. And at first they can't tell that a code is coming through. Mm-hmm. So Sam's like, we'll speed up the audio that's coming in and they have to speed it up to six times faster than what's actually coming in before they recognize that it is in fact SG-10's return code. But then the gate closes before they can get through. So things are already fucking weird. I also thought, I had a lot of early on thoughts on this episode. I'd love to hear it. The slow-mo looked so dumb in the first scene. And once we got to like past like first third, I was like, okay, everything makes sense again. But to be fair, when I first watched the opening scene, I didn't think the slow-mo has a reason to be in the show. I just thought, what the fuck are we doing? Yeah. It wasn't until like far later in the episode than I should have that I put together the fact that it was intentionally in slow-mo. Right, right. And I was like, okay, I see what you're trying to do there. It just looked very awkward starting out, like, the gate with it, like. Um, so, apparently, the commander of um, SG-10 is Major Henry Boyd, who Jack personally recommended for this command and who Jack trained. And so he was like, I absolutely need to go rescue SG-10. So it's really bothering him. And Hammond is like, if I authorize a rescue mission, you will go on it. If I authorize a rescue mission, I'm not just going to send you mm-hmm. on a rescue mission. I don't know what the fuck's out there. So they send back the probe to see what's going on. And the probe sends back an image that is like hella distorted and red. Um, and they have to do a bunch of weird computer manipulation to figure out what's actually going on in the picture. And they find out that the all of the video footage that they're supposed to be getting is just like eight still images and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's something weird going on with the time on the planet because they also figure out that there's a black hole above the planet. Which is super convenient. Super convenient. Um, and uh, there's absolutely nothing they can do to save SG-10 because of the way black holes affect time dilation. That um, the wormhole won't be stable long enough for them to get through. Right. right. Um, and Sam's like, yes, it's all tragic. But we have video footage of a black hole. Yeah. We will never get that again. And Jack goes, we have video footage of my friends dying. I'd rather not. And I was like, okay, this is, I was with Sam the whole time until this point. And I was like, okay, Jack's right. Like, <laughs> like I get it. I do get it. But, like, those are human beings. And, like, up until now, you were like, we can't send you in because it's dangerous. We can't do this. I have to uh, disagree. And I'm like, yes, Sam, you're making sure everything is safe. You are going all about it. And then she's like, science above all else. And it's like, hold up. Human lives matter. Yes. And uh, so we have yeah. to just take a step back. But. Yeah. Um, so they try to disengage the wormhole so that they can stop. Um, seeing these people die and fun fact it won't disengage yep yep and then we abruptly change scene (laughs) and there were a couple of once once you um get a little farther into the episode and you understand what's happening it makes sense but in that moment i was like we're outside now Cool. Um, so we are outside. We're outside of the mountain because the base is being surrounded. And we find out that there's been no contact from inside of SGC for four hours. I thought it was five hours. 
No. Oh, at first, when when Cromwell gets there at first. Oh, okay. Yes. There's time. Time does not make sense on the show. When Cromwell gets there first, he says that there. Um. This the soldier tells him that there's been no contact for four hours, and that before that, um, everything was funky. And he said, "Soldier, is that a a military term, funky?" <laughs> and he said, "Everyone." He said it sounded like. When you're listening to your Walkman and your batteries start to die. And if that is not the most outdated fucking metaphor I have ever heard in my life. Even for this time. In the 90s? Yeah. We didn't have money. and I had a CD player in the 90s. No, no, no. Walkmans are CD players too. Yeah, but like original is like. Oh, I, yeah. I think Walkman. I think the '80s Walkmans. Oh, okay. Because I, my C, I had a CD player that was a Walkman, and when the batteries would start to die, it would spin too slow. I, I had one of those too. I just, I mean, but I mean, also, if you're an adult in 1998, you had a Walkman that was a true a cassette. Because I mean, like we had Walkman CD players when we were 13. But if this man who is at least 18 in 1998 had a Walkman when he was 13. It was 92. It was a cassette. Right, right. That makes sense. So, but it was, the thing about it was that it was the most outdated metaphor I'd ever heard, and yet I heard it. Right, right. Like, I I know, I was like, I know exactly what he's saying. Yep. Yep. Um, But also, whenever I... There are certain phrases from songs that like get trapped in your brain and you can only ever hear that phrase that way. And I was taking notes and I wrote, everyone was talking real slow. But when I say the words real slow, I only ever say them as Taylor Swift when we're on the phone and we talk (laughs) real slow because it's late. Yep, yep, yep. I follow. And then I hate myself. Right. Um, um, so then Cromwell decides he's going to break into base. But of course he does. Then we go back to Hammond, um, who is trying to call the president, but the red phone does not work. I thought at first, I was like, did the president just like answer and hang up on him? I was like, what's going on? Just nothing, nothing worked. And then he goes down to the control room where Sam is freaking out because the gate is still engaged. And Hammond is like, isn't there like a theoretical limit for how long a wormhole can be stabilized? And she goes, yep, and we're past that. And Sam is totes in charge this whole time. Absolutely. She is running the show. To be fair, she's the only doctor of physics that is there. And the only non-moron, it seems. Right. Bless him. At um, least David Jackson's not there. That's all I could think was like, thank God he's not here because he would have tried so many things that didn't make any sense. That's absolutely true. But can you, I tell you what I was thinking the whole time? I was glad that Daniel wasn't there because he absolutely would have ruined everything. But all I could think about was the trivia that I gave you in <laughs> the first episode about the fact that every single one of them is in every single episode this season. And I was like, well, he's got to come back at some point because right. Daniel has to be in the episode or else my trivia was wrong. Right. Well, I was thinking about you when you told us about um, Sharae having the, the real Sharae having the baby. And so he was out a lot of that episode. That's why they filmed it so weird. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, this must have come right after that in filming because he is not there at all. Right. So I assume that's why. Um, but also, like, on that point, they were like, like, he's gone with another SG team. Do you just go with another SG team? Is that a thing they do? Yeah, was sure. a convenient storyline? Because. No. Um, to be fair, like, Daniel is the only one who works there who is an archaeologist. I guess that's true. Guess so, that's like, true. occasionally there's probably another team that is doing a dig that he can assist on because SG-1 doesn't have a mission right at that moment. Like, I, I think it would be, like, if SG-1 has a mission, priority is that mission. But if SG-1 is on a break and there's a mission that he would be okay with and he's had his, like, legal days of rest, sure. I guess that, that tracks. That tracks. Um, 
Um, so then Jack gets real smart and is like, how about we just pull the plug? Like, what happens then? And Sam, God bless her, is smarter than everyone else in the room. Always. Never, never had a thought to just get rid of electricity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because sometimes the most obvious answer doesn't come to you. There, I'm so, definitely familiar with that concept. Yeah. So um, Jack and Sergeant Seidler go down to the main breaker or to the breaker room and start unplugging things, and they pull the main breaker. And Siler gets electrocuted. And then the gate starts to, like, blow up. And Teal'c also gets, like, electric burns. And then, fun fact, that was all for nothing because the gate still does not shut down. Yep, yep, nothing happened. Yeah. Um, so they decided to close the iris to try to at least stop the black hole from coming in. Um, I feel like I'm missing a lot of details, but it's because the whole episode was just, like, throwing um, ideas of stopping this at the wall and seeing which ones... It was literally, they just threw spaghetti at the wall, but the character... It wasn't, like, the writers threw spaghetti at the wall. The characters were throwing spaghetti at the wall, being like, I hope something will stop it. Yeah, yeah. Um, And when... So... At some point during this whole conversation about how to stop things, um, Simmons tells Hammond that the only phone that will work to call out of the base is um, at NORAD, at the, which is the, the gate level, the actual, like, before you get into the bunker, the ground level. Everything in the mountain is on a different time. Yes. Well, no, this is before they know anything about the time. Oh, okay. This is in general, like... So the way, because SGC is like a secret project, Mm -hmm. there's the actual like Cheyenne Mountain base. And then there's all of SGC is in a underground. It's like a bunker in the mountain. So like the phone lines and the communication systems on ground level are different systems. Mm -hmm. So he's like, right now that's the only phone that works. So Hammond goes up to the top. When he gets there, one of the joint chiefs is waiting for him and is like, it's been five hours since anyone has heard from you. That's what I was thinking. Um, the president wants to see you in person. Things are not great. Yeah, I was like, who the hell do these guys think they are? They're just like bursting in and like, you're coming with us. You're doing this. Um, to be fair. It was a good be, reason. <laughs> I was like, to be fair, who do they think they are? They're quite literally the joint chief of staff. Totally made sense once I figured out what was going on. But like, at first, if, if anyone has the right to just burst in and tell you where to be, it is them. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And <laughs> I, um, I absolutely think they were in the right there. But yes, at first, I didn't. <laughs> and so they're just like, okay, um, there's a van waiting for you to take you to your plane. Um, you're going to see the president. Goodbye. And he's like, oh, that's um, exactly what I wanted. Thank you. <laughs> um, so then we go back down where the special ops team led by, led by Cromwell just, like, break in through a hole in the wall yep. and, like, attack Frasier and are like, you've, yeah. been taken, you've been taken over by alien hostiles. And she's like, I'm just going to a medical emergency. She's like, I really have it. <laughs> and he's like, huh, based on some of the things I've read about this base, you could be an alien. She's like, I, I could, but I'm not. I was like, it's really clear these guys have no idea. No, no idea. Um, so then we go back to Hammond where he's talking to the major um, who has, is taking him to this situation. And the people topside were able to figure out the time dilation situation because it's been five hours for them. But it's only been 10 minutes for SGC. That's insane. And I was um, like, you know how great it would be if you could, like, mess with time that way and be like, only outside, it's moving normal. Only inside, it's not. So if, like, the I could go take a nap on the outside where it feels like five hours and then go back inside where it's only ten minutes and just, like, not miss any of my life. I would love that. Big fan, so aside much. from the, like, 
death parts that comes pretty quickly. Oh, right, for sure. Um, but yeah, I had this whole map plan figured out. I love that. Um, and um, Hammond is like kind of taken aback that everybody else has figured everything out faster than him, and he's like, "The major's like, sir, we literally had five hours. You had ten minutes. We had five yeah. hours. So like, um." But then we go back down into the base where Sam is explaining the whole situation about time dilation and black holes to Jack in a sciencey way. And he's like, absolutely not. And she's like, things are bad. And he goes, better fix it. <laughs> um, so then Frazier meets up with them with Cromwell and his team playing tag along. And Jack is fucking bitter that Cromwell is there. And I was really confused at first. I was like, have we seen Cromwell before? And I was like, I really don't think so. We have not, in fact. Um, And so Sam is filling them in on everything that's going on. And again, she's using sciencey terms and Jack is nodding and Cromwell just goes, don't ever pretend you understand her. And I was like, um and then as they're bickering and having this conversation Hammond shows back up and I at this point I understood the time dilation but it it still was throwing me off so right because he's like I just got back from Washington and Jack's like the fuck he's like he was on the phone (laughs) yeah he's like I thought you were making a phone call he was like I've been gone for 18 hours very long time and he's like we are going to evacuate sgc somebody needs to stay behind behind and do the auto destruct of the base the only way to get rid of this black hole is to just blow everything and unfortunately i know it's not your favorite answer but i just spent an overnight session for 18 hours with the joint chiefs of staff and it's the only solution we have um and so jack and cromwell volunteer to be the ones to stay back I thought it was going to be Jack and Sam, but I guess it makes sense. We had to have some Carmel do something. Yes. And also, it's a much more soldiery thing. Oh, no, it absolutely is. Absolutely is. Um, I'm just used to Jack and Sam being together. <laughs> that's fair. Um, so everyone else gets out. They find out that time is moving 600% slower inside. Wild. And that even though uh, Hammond told Jack to wait five minutes before he pressed the button, um, that it may be six hours on the outside before they know if Jack is safe or not. Ugh, that just that feels so stressful. It does. And of course, Sam is stressed. And she's also trying to solve the problem because she's the only one who thinks that this Lowy Epi solution is not a good one. Um, and then we get some anger, and we find out Forget. that is my next note just says Sam is smarter than everyone else. Well, that's <laughs> very true. We go back inside, and we figure out that there's clearly something bigger between Jack and Cromwell, and we still don't really know the details. Um, but they clearly just like not fans of each other. Yeah. Um, then we go back to the outside where Sam tells Hammond her fears. And as she's like discussing everything she's afraid of, which to be fair, to give Sam credit, her fear is not about Jack dying. Like it's not, no. I mean, cause a lot of times in shows like this, you have that, like, my people save my people thing, and it feels, like, really selfish and small-minded. But Sam's fear is, like, if this doesn't work and the black hole eats this, how long until it eats all of the state of Colorado? And then she's, like, her fear is based on actual science of what could theoretically happen based on what we know about black holes. Mm -hmm. But as she's, like, talking about it, she figures out the solution by talking about it out loud. Which I'm not sure why she didn't just talk to 
Tilk about it when she was talking to Tilk about it in the first place and figure it out, but she yeah, had to get there. More time. Yeah. Yeah. Then we go back down to Jack and Cromwell, and they're fighting again and yelling at each other. And we find out that Jack and Cromwell used to serve together. And the no man left behind thing really is important to Jack. And Cromwell did leave him in a war zone. And it is actually Cromwell's abandoning that led to Jack being caught and put in prison, which we knew Jack had been more prison. So now puzzle pieces fitting together there. I'm like, I get it. Like, I get that you'd be upset. Like you've lost so much of your life, but at the same time, like Cromwell had a really hard decision to make. Like he could have lost sure. not only Jack, but all of his men and himself. And he truly thought that Jack was already dead. Like, yeah, yeah. he would not have left. And I know, like, even if they're dead, you're just like, do whatever. But, like, that's, like, a, there's no right answer there. Like, even mm-hmm. if you, you have to do the thing that's going to be the most beneficial overall. Yeah. But their fighting gives Sam enough time to get there and explain the new plan. And um, then they're talking about it, and they're working out the plan, and the only part of the plan pro- planned problem is that they don't have a bomb yet. Mm-hmm. But then Teal'c arrives with the bomb just in time and um, says something about how long it actually took to make the bomb, which just makes this whole time thing even scarier and stressful. Yeah. Um, so Jack and Cromwell are like on zip lines, basically carrying the bomb to the gate, but gravity is like getting stronger the closer they get to it. And also it's just like pulling in from the gate stronger anyway. So um, the iris breaks and Cromwell comes loose. And he tries to save Jack. And then his grip slips and he falls into the wormhole. I thought he let go because he realized he was also dragging Jack down. Maybe. And he knew in order to save Jack, he would have to let go. And it like, because it seemed like he felt like he was paying off of debt that he owed. Um, I think that that's true. No, I think that that's true, and I think that makes sense. Um, One thing that didn't get addressed because of the way this episode ended, and if this were any show with any amount of continuity other than Stargate, I would really, really hope that the next episode focused a lot on Jack's trauma of losing both Boyd and Cromwell. Yeah, but then, like, also, when we lost Cromwell, we never talked about it again. No, it was awful. I was like, we're not going to mention that we've lost Boyd. We're not going to mention that we've lost Cromwell. It's just like, that's over now. Yeah, um, but Jack does, in his anger of losing Cromwell, um, climb up far enough to detonate the bomb and then try to get away, but Teal'c basically pulls him out despite a ridiculous amount of gravity mm-hmm. and the bomb explodes and then we cut to the infirmary where Daniel is finally back and he's standing over um, <laughs> Jack's bed and he's like did anything happen while I was gone? I was I, like you're not funny. I Okay I first out laughing when I saw the scene before he started talking because I was like of course he had to get his like three seconds in this episode so he could be in every episode. Yeah. Um, he's like, what did I miss? And they talk about everything that happened. And he's like, how long have Jack's like, how long has it been? And Daniel's like, believe it or not, um, since you came to work yesterday, it's been two weeks. Which is insane. <laughs> um... And Jack's like, well, in that case, I'm not sleeping. <laughs> and Hammond's just like, you do that, sir. And um, then it ends. Yep. That is that is what has happened. That is what has it happened. It was 
a good episode. It was a lot of emotion. I went on a roller coaster of how I felt about Cromwell. When he first got there, I thought he was going to be a bad guy. Like, um, right. The other guy we hate make peace and all them. And then, um, Oh my gosh. At my murder mystery, someone's name on their name tag was make peace. <laughs> I lost. I'm so sorry. That just, that just came back to my head. Did you ask um, them if they were named after Colonel Makepeace? They were on the other side of the room, but I, they had to have been right. Like who else would they have been named after? And um, so I thought he was going to be like, make peace. We're going to hate him. And then by the end, I was like, almost in tears when he went to the wormhole and i was like this was such an emotional roller coaster for someone i don't even know like i thought i I did think it was a really good episode i just you know there's no fifth race episode no i do have some trivia though um so we talked uh last week about sergeant siler as one of our like background recurring characters um this episode is um, the beginning of a trope where this man will unfortunately get electrocuted all the time. <laughs> Bless his heart. Um, that's just something that happens. What storyline are you about to ruin for me? No, it's just this sad character just gets electrocuted Bless a lot. His heart. Oh gosh. Um, this was also the first appearance in the series of um, Major Paul Davis, who was the one talking to Hammond about the time dilation in the car. Um, he will be back, and so I will go into more detail about him when it is his turn to be the guest star of the episode. Um, the prop used for the shape-charged explosive used to divert the wormhole and disconnect from the black hole is actually a high-fidelity woofer speaker. <laughs> I didn't even look at it that closely. That is so funny. I didn't even question it. Um, Due to the time dilation close to the Stargate, the 20-second countdown on the bomb takes 51 seconds, with the last three seconds taking 12 seconds. Wild. Um, Marshall Teague, who plays Air Force Colonel um, Cromwell, assists SG-1 in trying to save the Earth, but earlier that same year, Teague played another Air Force colonel in an Earth-saving mission in the 1998 movie Armageddon, which was the biggest Hollywood blockbuster movie of the year. I haven't seen it yet. Heard it's really great, though. Heard good things. You've never seen Armageddon? I love that movie. That's what I hear. That's what I hear. Um... This is the first episode where the SG team's transmitter for opening the iris is referred to as the GDO. GDO is not a technical term. It stands for garage door opener. (laughs) That brings me so much joy. Yes. um, The next two will also bring you joy. Um, There's a scene where Captain Samantha Carter is offered a donut while trying to figure out a black hole scenario. She briefly considers it before putting it back in the box. Amanda Tapping got her start in a fairly well-known TV commercial for Tim Hortons in the late 80s, and this is the first of multiple donut gags in the series where characters are offered but do not eat donuts. That's so funny. Yeah. I'm going to notice everyone. (laughs) Yes, every time. Um, And then also, this one is something that you will appreciate. Okay. Um, Unusually... Always how I like it start. Um, sorry, I don't know how to word this. I don't like the way it's worded here. Um, so normally in Stargate, there's one composer for each episode, unless it is a clip show, because then the music will be from other shows. Unusually, this episode, while not being a clip show, has three composers credited for the music. Okay. So- Joel Goldsmith, Richard Band, and Kevin Kiner. Okay. So it is I'm just... kind of familiar with the first and the last one. I am. I don't know that for sure, and I could just be making that up, but it sounds they sound familiar. Well, Richard Band, who was the middle one, who's one you didn't say you knew, 
um, did the music in for the movie From Beyond in 1986, um, Reanimator in 1985, and Exorcism at 60,000 Feet in 2019, which are all like B horror movies. Uh, Joel, and Joel Goldsmith composed the Steve Martin movie, The Man with Two Brains, and worked in the sound department for some Star Trek movies. And Kevin Kiner was the composer on the series uh, Narcos Mexico, uh, CSI Miami, Jane the Virgin, and Star Wars The Clone Wars. Definitely familiar with him. We, uh, we've looked at like the music for both Narcos and for uh, Jane the Virgin, so we've definitely come across him. Yes. Yeah, I um, Jane the Virgin. Ooh. What? I also love Jane the Virgin. If you haven't seen it, it's a great show. I have not seen it, but my brother walked in and loved it. Um, who, my dearest Courtney, would you like to punch? The black hole. <laughs> it's caused okay. so many problems. It did cause so many problems. Um, I am going to punch Lieutenant Simmons for just being a little bit too dumb and relying entirely on Sam for anything. Yes, correct. And I know he's in love with her, but it's annoying. Is this the same guy? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't connect. Because I didn't know him last time, so I didn't know that's, him this time either. <laughs> that's true. But now he's been in three episodes and, like, had a speaking part in three episodes, so we should know who he is now. Okay. <laughs> now that I've connected him to all his other roles he's had. Yes. Um, yeah, so that's who I'm going to punch. Just, he didn't do anything wrong. He's just a little dumb. Yeah, no, totally fair. Who is your MVP? I mean, it's Sam. It's perfectly, perfectly reasonable. It's the best answer. But I will also give my MVP ribbon to Cromwell. Yeah. Yeah. For sacrificing himself for the greater good. (sighs) Yeah. I love it. Tragic. It made me so sad. Do you have any predictions? Dude, I don't even know anymore. Like, we have, what, 22 episodes in this season? Yes. So there's six more. So there's six more. Yeah. I mean, we have to see the Knox again soon now that we've brought them back in. We have to see Sharae again. Probably. I don't know. She's probably dead. Um, we have to see. Apophis has to come back. Like, where are so there's so many sto- we have so many storylines open. Right, so and like, and we just keep opening more. We don't close them. Yeah. We just keep opening more. So like, they have to at least be like acknowledged again. So I don't know. I'm sure they won't be, but that's what my prediction is. Good. Well, we have six episodes, so maybe they'll like acknowledge one of them. Yes. Um, if if they were going to acknowledge one of them, which one would you want them to acknowledge? Oh gosh. Um, if they're if they're only going to choose one of the open storylines to close, which one do you want it to be? To close, Shari. Okay. Because like the Knox, I just want it to be continuous. We're doing the four races and everything, or the technically maybe five races. I, uh, I, the Knox is going to be ongoing, but I'm just ready to be done with Shari because she has just been so frustrating for me. It's totally fair. And it seems so unnecessary based on everything else we're doing. That's fair. Yeah. You um, sound like you, I was going to say, you seemed like you had something else to say. Yes. Do you have an announcement about one of our, our previous shows? I do. I do. Um, literally, Five minutes before we started recording this episode, Joel De La Fuente posted that Hemlock Grove has, in fact, gotten picked up. Um, so it's not available yet, but there is this... I literally did not know this platform existed until he posted this, and I just shared it. Or I just told I told him I was going to announce it on the podcast. <laughs> um, but there is um, a indie streaming service that is online that is entirely free 
that is specifically designed for things that like have a following but like got dropped from major streaming services it's called film rise and they just um made a deal like a signed a deal with gauntlet which is brian why can't i think of brian's last name the book writer Uh, not, not no, not Brian, because that's why I said it's not Brian. Eli Roth. Gauntlet is Eli Roth's production company, and Eli Roth obviously produced this. Um, and there was whoever is the guy who also created Hannibal who had something to do with this. I don't know. Anyway, I read the article briefly, but Film Rise, <laughs> fr- Film Rise is an online um, free, like non-subscription-based streaming service for stuff that has lost homes elsewhere. And I don't think they announced a date yet, but as soon as I find out a date, I will share it. But Hemlock Grove will not be leaving us forever. Yay! That was Which is very, watch very exciting. It's, it's, I mean, it's been gone for a month. So sad. Devastating. Devastating. I haven't even... You know you all tried to go watch it. I know. Past month, every day. Every day. So, um, I think that's our only announcement. Um, If you have any information about wormholes or black holes or time dilation or Hemlock Grove, please email us at deathandaliens at gmail.com. Or follow us on any of the social media at Death and Aliens. You can follow me everywhere at E-M-K-A-Y underscore superstar. And you can follow me at C-E Cloud 13. And we will see you on Thursday for our Thriller Thursday where we get to the halfway point of Bates Motel ah! season four. So much. So much to talk about. Whew, yeah. It'll be great. We will see you then. Bye.